Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ta for Ta, Women, Success, China is powered by the Seneca Network. We are a bi-weekly podcast focused on capturing the lives of women in and from greater China at the top of their professional game. I'm your host, Juliana Batista. Many thanks to the entire team at SubChina, including co-producer Kaiser Kuo, Jason McRonald for ending, and Jamie Louie for marketing. We have a really exciting opportunity that we want to share with you all. So for the first 50 listeners that leave a review on iTunes, they'll be entered for a drawing of a free one-year membership to the China Institute. So this one-year individual membership includes complimentary admission to select programs, including arts and culture, business, fashion, food, film, unlimited complimentary admission to China Institute's gallery, a 25% off discount on all gallery publications, a discount at Jiangnan Chinese Cuisine Restaurant with the valid membership card, a discount on admission for fee-based programs, and a discount on tuition for classes at the School of Chinese Studies. There is a lot included in that, and we will be giving that out to one of our listeners that leaves a review, and we'll be doing a drawing once we hit those 50 reviews. So you're hearing me right, get listening to the episode, click write a review in the Apple Podcast app, and be sure to share your email in the review so we can track you down if you win the drawing. On our episode today, we are joined by Emma Yang, founder of Timeless, a mobile app that helps Alzheimer's patients stay engaged and connected to loved ones. Since its inception in 2016, Timeless has garnered many awards and media attention around the world, including Fast Company and BBC. Emma is extraordinary on paper, multilingual, a frequent public speaker, and award recipient. The easy thing to say is she is 15, and that is amazing. At the risk of just saying that, what really stands out to me is the persistent values and vision she has for the world and how everything she does beats forward to the same tune. I found my time with her meaningful, especially how she believes that with the right resources, young people can be a source for change and a source for good. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ta for Ta, Women's Success China. I'm Juliana, and we are very excited to have Emma Yang on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. And can we actually start with talking about the mobile app that you created? Where did the idea come from? And what's it like to have something out there in the world today? 
Sure. So I'm the founder of a mobile app called Timeless. It's an artificial intelligence-based facial recognition app that uh, seeks to empower Alzheimer's patients and their caregivers and their family and friends through helping them stay connected with their family and friends and stay engaged. Um, And the main feature of the app is that uh, patients can receive photos from their family and friends that are tagged by facial recognition technology so that they can kind of jog their memory and stay, you know, um, up to date on their family and friends' activities, and also to kind of keep track of their day and to ensure that they're able to communicate with their family and friends while coping with the illness. Um, and so I was inspired to create this app on my experience with my grandmother. Um, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was around seven or eight. And I really, you know, felt the impact of those changes because, you know, I had really spent a lot of time growing up with her. And so, you know, when she, you know, forgot you know, what she had for dinner or how to turn on the TV, I really noticed those changes. And I really wanted to combine my, you know, passion for technology and for coding with being able to solve a problem that I saw in my world and being able to kind of help my grandmother with those challenges. Um, And so I kind of grew, it kind of grew out of me creating something for myself and for my grandmother and then realizing that actually there were so many people out there who could really benefit from something like this. And so I decided to really create something that, you know, went out into the world onto the app store that other people could benefit from as well. You know, your app is really built on a strong coding foundation what initially drew you to coding as a discipline? Did you have the opportunity to go to a camp or get some formal training or is this something that you taught yourself? How did that all come about? Yeah, I mean, I actually, my dad kind of came from a coding background, computer science, and so I was introduced at a really a young age. I started, you know, using a program called Scratch uh, when I was around six years old. It's kind of this like, you know, kids block by block programming tool um, for you to kind of make games, animations. And I kind of started there and I just really found it so intriguing that I could create, you know, such a range of things using just code. Um, you know, that just really fascinated me. And so I kind of went on that path of learning first, kind of learning how to do little games and then transitioning to websites and mobile apps. Um, I've kind of taken some classes over the years. I mean, I did the main thing that kind of brought me into programming for iPhone was a class um, back when the Flatiron School here in New York had a high school program. I was able to take a course Um, when I was in seventh grade. And that kind of just launched me into this idea that you can create an app that not only is kind of for the sake of computer science and for coding, but also to really help other people around the world. And so that's kind of what got me into coding. And I've just been, you know, really interested ever since. So you were in seventh grade. How did you hear about this high school class and what were the requirements to get in? Yeah, I think that was back when there were just a bunch of scholarship advertisements going around for things surrounding the Flatiron School, that organization. I think also it was some, it was kind of linked to um, Carly Kloss's initiative back then. But I think I just kind of heard about that class and it just really fitted something that I thought would be a good next step for me to learn uh, computer science. And I just really was interested in, you know, mobile apps because, you know, the biggest component technology plays in our lives is through our phones and through smartphones. Um, and so I think initially... They, I really wanted to apply, but it was only for like ninth grade and up. But then I had some coding experience before that. I had kind of done, you know, the traditional Java computer science education. And so I actually had to do an interview with them to because they wanted to make sure that I was kind of mature enough to be in the class. But after that, I, I kind of joined and I was a really interesting class. I got to work with. Um, you know, older girls, girls who were about juniors and seniors, actually some girls who went to my school that I hadn't really met before because they were a couple of grades above me. But it was just a really fun experience for me. 
It does sound fun. You know, what do you think was the most important learning? I would assume that this was probably an accelerated environment, but it was also an opportunity to work with people on projects that really matter to them. Yeah, I think actually that was one of the first times that I was in a class that was so project-based because every time we came to class, it would be centered around building an app or kind of solving a problem almost. And I think that that really kind of launched me into the way I still learn computer science now, which is really just doing projects and diving into it and really learning that way. Um, It really helped me to learn how to, you know, collaborate with others and, you know, know, through explaining things to people or as something being explained to you, you really learn much faster than if you're just kind of learning from a teacher talking to you. And I think that was just kind of that immersion was how what I really took away from that class. That's amazing. Now, how long since first starting Timeless have you been working on the app in the company? Yeah, so I've really been kind of, it's been a longer process um, because I was kind of learning how to create an app from the ground up as well as, you know, the business component and raising funds. I think it's been almost two and a half years actually since I started this. Um, And so over time, I've been really just learning a lot about how to get the word out there, how to build an app that's really, you know, uh, sustainable and, and can be you know scalable um, because it was the first time I ever created something that I really was planning to take out onto the market and so that's been a, a, re- a really big learning curve but I'm really grateful for the opportunity that I had to kind of really create this because it's just exposed me to a lot of different things not only on the technology side but then also kind of in you know the process of creating a company in the real world. Yeah, I would really like to to dig into that a bit more with some examples of taking it into the real world. You know, what is a time that you've done that either through building the app or fundraising or business development? Let's talk about some of those stories. Yeah, I mean, the first couple of times that I really thought about taking this into the real world, I was just thinking about, you know, I really need a lot of help and advice from people who have done this before to be able to really take this to the next level because, you know, it was the first time I ever even created an app. I really needed, I, I kind of, I could tell that I really needed that kind of technical and also business advice. So when I started out, I actually just started cold emailing a lot of, you know, CTOs who worked in, you know, AI and facial recognition. And then, you know, also uh, later down the road, kind of VCs as well, who funded women and young women startups. Um, and, you know, initially I didn't get a lot of replies, I think, especially because, you know, I was 12 years old at the time. I kind of emailed them like, hey, I'm a middle schooler. I'm trying to create this app. Can you help me out with this? Um, and, but I was really lucky that, you know, some people replied and there were kind of, um, I worked with an Alzheimer's specialist um, when I was first creating the app. Her name was Dr. Melissa Cramps. She worked for Well Cornell under the memory care department. And she helped me kind of make the app something that was more intuitive and really tuned to the audience I was targeting. Um, also, Cole Calistra, he was at Kairos, which is still the facial recognition platform that Ti- Timeless is powered by. And he was really supporting me with the technical aspects of how to create an app that's scalable, how to create an app that really is able to, you know, be taken out there into the real world with real users. And so that experience, you know, building a relationship with an advisor and people who really supported you was a really great, you know, learning um, kind of ex- experience for me because, you know, it was different uh, to see someone who, you know, despite my age, still explained things to me in a way that they would explain to their colleagues and really treated me as an intellectual equal. And I think that was a really valuable experience for me. You know, building off that, now that you bring it up, do you sometimes feel that you aren't treated as an intellectual equal, even though you might be on the same standing? Yeah, I mean, I think age has definitely been a challenge across uh, along the way. I mean, um, especially I think the biggest 
uh, challenge where it's been the biggest barrier has been um, with funding because a lot of the time I'll go to VCs or I go to pitch competitions and, you know, they say, you know, you're just a young girl, you know, creating this company, you know, they're not sure whether I'm really invested in this or whether I can take this from, you know, an idea to a product. And so um, I think that I've been really lucky with, you know, the women who tech um, pitch competition that I attended, and that's where I got the $50,000 grand prize. Um, I think that those judges really believed in my ability to, you know, have a mission and really want to be personally invested in that and really creating an app from, you know, the funding that they gave me. And so that was really what t- uh, took Timeless off the ground. But I think over time, it's been a challenge and it's kind of been a good lesson in kind of making sure that I'm conveying my mission and conveying my personal ideas to make sure that they know that I really am invested in creating something. And so right now at Timeless, what sort of challenges and obstacles are you facing? What are the big barriers right now? Well, right now, since we soft launched Timeless in about May, um, we have gotten about a couple hundred users. Um, and it's been really great because we have a user base that's super you know, committed to giving us really great feedback and being super responsive. And so I've been getting a lot of kind of feedback on that and you know, suggestions on how to enhance the app. Who are your users right now? Um, right now, actually, we're getting a really broad range from you know, across the United States. We're seeing a lot of New York, a lot of California, and also kind of across the world as well, because we released as well, uh, also to Hong Kong and Japan. Um, and so we actually had kind of like a memory care facility in Hong Kong who's been reaching out to us and talking to us a lot about, you know, getting their patients onto Timeless. And so we've been getting a lot of users from there, also from just around the United States. It's been really great to see, you know, the, my reach as a young girl. I could never imagine that, you know, something I created could really reach and get out there. So Yeah. And have you noticed any differences in the users that you're getting from the U.S. and China and Hong Kong in terms of feedback from the app, user experiences? Um, I mean, I think that the responsiveness has been really pretty universal across the user base. I think that everyone who's heard about Timeless and is getting on Timeless is super passionate about that message and super passionate about connecting with the patients and the people they love. And so I think, you know, over across the board, it's been pretty great. Yeah. And as we talk about the conception of family, it seems to be different in both the East and West. Actually, the other day I was talking to someone from Shanghai Disney and they were saying that the park is basically designed for seven people because you have a kid, the parents, and then both sets of grandparents. And that's really how everything is designed. And I'm curious for you, having lived both in the U.S. and in Hong Kong, do you feel more connected with the Asian conception of family, more communal, or more of the nuclear family, and has that influenced the way that you've built the app and creating these connections among family members? Yeah, I definitely have seen that perspective on the nuclear family. I mean, I think here there's just more of a sense of individual, um, of you know, progressing out of the home and kind of finding your own way. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I think that's definitely growing in Hong Kong, but I think there is just more awareness in general about the aging population, just because in you know places like Japan and China, it's just such a large part of everyone's daily life maybe a bit more so than in the U.S. And so I think there's just more awareness and kind of there's just those cultural values and traditional values that really link to that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just really a cultural division. But I think that, you know, as New York becomes more diverse and as Hong Kong becomes more diverse, I think there is a lot of, you know, a broader mix now, you know, now that, you know, you have that kind of diversity. 
Yeah. Do you think that the access to tech in the aging population is underserved? Is that a reason to do what you do? Yeah, I think definitely the aging population maybe is one of those areas that hasn't really been touched by tech, especially because we have that idea that, you know, old people can't really use technology. But I think that, you know, the world at large is really being immersed in you know, mobile technology and technology in general, that it is really an audience that can be targeted. And that's one of my missions with Timeless is to really drive that home in people's minds and make sure that people know that technology isn't something that just should be targeted towards the growing generation of young people, but also towards older people, because we have that big problem there as well. And that can really be tackled as well. How do you get more people involved and interested in developing technological solutions for aging populations? I think just really demonstrating demonstrating the impact of timeless because I think that people a lot of a question that I always get is how do you know you know how timeless is impacting people or do you think that it can really benefit older people and I think that you know through personal anecdotes I know that I use timeless with my grandmother and she has used it a lot to really communicate back and forth with me and to be staying engaged with her that way with her caregiver in Hong Kong send her photos and we call her a lot um, and so I think that just really goes to demonstrate that there really is an impact that technology can have on, you know, the older generation, especially because we're seeing kind of that intergenerational c- connect between cultures. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that there can be that benefit. And I think just, you know, telling my story and getting the world out, that word out there, that timeless can have an impact is, you know, the biggest way that we can kind of drive that home. Are there other companies or other people like, Who do you think are your supporters at the nexus of tech and supporting the aging population? Who do you rely on? Who's your circle? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there are a lot of companies out there who are doing things that are similar to us. And I think that's really a reason for us to keep going, to persist and, you know, making sure that Timeless gets out there. But I think my biggest inspiration in terms of impact is the user base and the feedback I've been getting through social media and through, you know, talking to a lot of people around the world about Timeless because, you know, you always hear stories of, you know, I use this with my friend or with my grandmother and, you know, it really helps us uh, do X, Y, Z to really connect um, on social media. Even before I launched Timeless, I would get a lot of people commenting on Facebook and on Twitter saying, you know, this would be something really great for my grandmother or something really great that I wish I could have used with someone I knew. And so that was really what drove me to keep going with Timeless and eventually to get Timeless in the market. Um, and so it's just really that user feedback and that feedback from the community that I get that really inspires me. It's interesting to me too, because the way you talk about timeless is that intergenerational connection is actually universal. And although that might seem pretty obvious, I actually didn't expect that. And it seems that your data and your lived experience are really supporting that, that insight. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the reason probably why is because, you know, timeless the basis of Timeless, the idea of Timeless, is kind of based in the intergenerational culture. And so I think that the people who we're attracting with our community probably are more maybe invested in kind of the uh, intergenerational connect. But I think that I hope that, you know, Timeless can kind of make that a more universal um, feeling of, you know, being able to connect with people beyond just your parents or your children, but also reaching out to older generations as well. You know, speaking of inspiration, are there out-of-market examples that have provided inspiration for what you're doing with the app, either the functionality, the user experience, the customer service, some element of the app, were you getting inspiration from outside of intergenerational connection examples? Yeah, I mean, actually, the kind of the flow and the functionality of Timeless came from my own experiences um, with my grandmother because 
we, before Timeless was even created, we would send her photos through on an iPad um, and kind of she would just look at, through there. But we also got a whiteboard in her living room to write down, you know, events, you know, the day of the week, important phone numbers. And we realized that these are all things that could be consolidated into one app. And so I think the inspiration really came from there. But something in general that I'm really interested in is kind of with even my generation. Because I think that, you know, we, my generation is probably learning about culture and about each other in a way that's so different and so kind of interlocking with technology than other generations. And that's just something that really intrigues me because things like, you know, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, um, it's just really interesting to see how that grew so exponentially um, through the ability to connect with other people and connect so instantaneously. And so I think that I've just been taking those ideas and trying to, you know, drive Thomas in a way that can create that instantaneous connection. And is there something about the user interface itself? Because you can share photos on Snapchat, you can share photos on Instagram, you can share photos on WeChat. What about the user interface of Timeless makes it special or more apt for intergenerational connection and contact? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, the reason why I reached out to Alzheimer's specialist in the beginning, and I actually also work with a UI UX designer. Um, she's now based back in Austin, Texas, but she and I kind of worked on making sure that we were making the app as intuitive and as simple as possible. You know, we try to include as little text as possible, make everything centered around graphical uh, representations, just so that you know that kind of audience with the older population is accommodated for. And we're really thinking about that because I think that the greatest issue with, you know, developing uh, technology for the older population is that there isn't a lot of adaptation in the technology. And so being able to customize something around your audience is super important. And so that's why we took all those things into consideration. Is there anything that you thought was going to work well, but didn't end up working well? I mean, I think that the idea around, you know, sending photos was something that was pretty universal. Um, initially, we had something called Identify, which was like a live kind of camera thing. But I think that, you know, over time, because, you know, for me, as someone who comes from technology, maybe that's something that I found was really cool or interesting. But I think that's kind of what I learned over time is not only to be, you know, a coder, but also to understand the perspective that other people come from. Because I think that, you know, what people really picked up on was things like the updates and photos where they can actually send photos to their friends and family and then uh, their patients can see that kind of information. And so I think that it's just kind of learning about, you know, what is truly valuable. And I think, um, that's the kind of thing that I think I look up to in people who are, you know, leaders in the tech industry, people who not only understand the te- technology and the development side of things, but also kind of the intuitive design and how to understand what users really want. Yeah, that's human-centered design. You're manifesting the development of consumer journeys and understanding what people really need from technology that's serving them. This gets me excited for the work that you're doing. So what would be the ideal trajectory? You've been at it for a little over two years now. You've seen great success. You've continued to iterate. But what would the ideal trajectory look like? Yeah, I mean, I really hope that Timeless reaches you know, more and more people over time, especially, you know, around the world. I mean, that we're also investing in trying to raise funding for um, development for the Android, because right now, Timeless is just for iOS. But then um, the reason why we started with iOS was mainly for development purposes. I mean, when I started out, that was kind of what I started learning with. But then I really want to be able to kind of 
reach that Android population as well. What's the difference between the two? Um, I think for iOS, it's just really a compatibility thing because, you know, for iOS, if you develop for that, it's just for iPhone and iPad. And so the, the range is kind of smaller, but then I do realize that a lot of, most people in the world who use smartphones are on Android. And so I want to be able to develop for that as well. It's just that when I started out as, you know, coding when I was 13, it was just um, more accessible for me to start coding with a kind of a small range of sizes and compatibility. You know, for Android, you have, you know, the Samsung, you have Google devices and tablets and stuff. And so, but I think that that is something that I'm definitely really invested in keeping going with. Um, I mean, other things, I have a lot of things in the roadmap, including, you know, translating the app into, you know, Chinese, Spanish, French, uh, even more languages so that it can reach people around the world. And then also just being able to incorporate more kind of cutting edge technology into the app. Um, I've always been thinking about doing something with AR where you can kind of track around your house and lead uh, patients to maybe lost objects or um, from, you know, their living room to the bedroom and things like that. Um, and then also kind of incorporating um, voice technology with, you know, home, uh, the Siri home and Alexa and Google Home. Um, and so I think it's just, you know, a combination of my exploration of different cutting edge technologies that are coming out right now. And also my goal of making things more intuitive and kind of user friendly, um, because I think, you know, technology should be made to kind of be become more accessible to more and more people. And so being able to adapt those technologies to make something, being able to, you know, be able to accommodate for more stages of uh, dementia and for Alzheimer's patients is kind of really interesting to me. And I really want to tackle that with Timeless. How do you start thinking about those things? When you say human-centered design, it's very easy to put yourselves in the shoes of a user that is similar to you, that has the same consciousness, same ideas, same sensory elements as you. But I'm assuming that there's a big obstacle in the designing of products for different audiences, especially for the aging population. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just over time learning how to really have shared consciousness about not only as a user, but also as someone who's creating a company and also as someone who is just really interested in new technologies. I think over time, just kind of having that feedback loop of, you know, what is really hitting home with uh, with my community and what kind of is a personal interest of mine and seeing where that common ground exists. It's just kind of an exercise that I've been going over again and again over time in the last two and a half years. Um, and so I think it's just something I strive to develop in myself to be able to kind of develop multiple, uh, multiple perspectives and synthesize those understandings of multiple um, you know, points of view to generate something that is like, you know, how to make the user interface more intuitive or how to incorporate this and that to make something kind of more universal for users. And as I said, I'm really excited to see where this all goes. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, do you have a consciousness about being a woman in a science, technology, engineering, math, STEM fields. Do you ever think about that? Do you think, oh, I'm a woman in coding and you you have a consciousness about your identity? Um, I think I think about it probably most when I'm talking to other people or when I go to events, uh, you know, around, centered around technology because you do kind of get a consciousness. Even when I went to coding classes, you know, I'd be in a room it, we're all high school students or you know students trying to learn how to code, but there's so little girls compared to boys, and so that just kind of comes up a lot um, over time. But I think that you know I have developed kind of identity as a person in technology 
you know, I think my understanding is not despite the fact that I'm a girl in technology, but also it's influenced because I'm a girl in technology. And I don't try to kind of ignore the fact that I'm a girl because I think that every part of our identity kind of influences the way that we think about issues around us and how we solve the, uh, the problems in our community. And so I think that I really just take that into account when I think about my ideas, but I just don't, I don't think that you know, it's important to, you know, just really listen to that as well and not to negate that. I think that, you know, it's easy to say, you know, I want to be understood as just a developer, just a woman, uh, just a person in STEM or in, in technology and not as a woman in STEM. But I think that it's just really important to kind of keep that in mind as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think that coding camps, conferences, I mean, you've been to a lot that they're sometimes not catered to a woman audience, whether that be the content or the promotions or the setup, whatever it may be? Um, I mean, I think um, there's definitely a heightened awareness about this issue of, you know, increasing the number of women in STEM. And so I think generally the I've been fortunate that the audiences that I've, I've had to interact with have been pretty understanding about that. I've also been to a lot of kind of women-centered events, you know, the pitch competition that really took me off the ground was Women Who Tech. And that was, you know, 10 women finalists who all kind of started their companies and really had that kind of acumen and not only business and technology. And, you know, people went in kind of with that understanding. And so I think there is that kind of shared consciousness about women in STEM and the audiences I've seen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in kind of to branch out and see you know, not only kind of just to, you know, preach to converted, but then also kind of to see audiences where that might not be um, as kind of, a, you know, an issue that's in the, t- in the back of everyone's minds that where people aren't maybe as aware of it. It's just an interesting thing to see kind of different perspectives on how if you introduce your own ideas, how people will react to that. One thing I like to ask of all my guests is what's one piece of advice that someone has given you that really stuck with you. I like to ask this because I think a lot of times we've, we're given a lot of advice, but not a lot of it sticks, not a lot of it's resonant, not a lot of it is something that we actually end up using in a different situation. So what is that piece of advice for you? Yeah, I mean, I think less of a specific piece of advice, but just something that I've realized thematically over time is just being able to understand rejection and also understand it not from a point of view of you know, why was I rejected by this person? But, you know, why am I maybe not a good fit for this? Or what is lacking in kind of my understanding of, of, or my view that I should kind of be working on and working to improve? Because I think that over time, I think especially this came through when I talked to VCs uh, early on, I would go to, you know, places that were even centered around funding women startups. But then, you know, I think at that point, um, you know, because not only because of my age, but also how early stage my app was or whether the fact that it wasn't, you know, necessarily for profit kind of were all it's just a combination of why that that kind of situation didn't work in initially. But I think being able to understand that uh, rather than saying, you know, why did this person reject me? But why is the situation just not fit for where I'm at right now? Um, just being able to understand that kind of journey and have that kind of mindset has been really valuable for me to learn over time. And if you keep going at it, the right opportunity, the right commitment will end up coming along. Yeah. You're young and precocious enough that the right opportunity, the right thing will stick. Yeah, I think definitely that's true. And so what advice would you give to a young woman that want to start something on their own? 
Um, I think just persistence is really important because, you know, it's definitely, it's all about, you know, right person, right place, right time. I think that if you're really passionate about an idea, you should just definitely get started. And even if you kind of hit roadblocks, not to let that, you know, hinder you from keep, like, keeping at it and, you know, persisting. Because I think that, you know, a lot of the time, you know, when I first started, it was not like I'd stumbled upon the right people immediately. It was, it was you know, a journey to really find out what is sticking with people and how do I really reach these people and, you know, connect with them on, you know, a human to human level or someone who is also passionate about a certain issue as I am and really getting them on board. I think that's just something you learn over time. It's not something that you can just kind of have immediately. And so just being able to keep at it and kind of learn from what you, you know, the feedback that you get every time and being able to understand a situation is something you learn by just doing it. Mm -hmm. And specifically if someone or a young woman wants to get an app off the ground, what's that tactical advice you have? What's the first step that they should take? I know you said that you emailed CTOs and just cold emailed them to get your foot um, in the door, you know, what What would be that advice? I think that sometimes, especially for young women, not only because of age, but also because you're a woman, sometimes people don't think that you're kind of taking something seriously enough. But I think, you know, the biggest thing is just to do your own work, you know, to put your head down, kind of do the research, make sure that you are creating something that you really can support every single angle of it and making sure that it comes across that you're really invested in your mission is really important. I think that's a great first step for really getting people on your side because, you know, the biggest person you have to convince is whoever is your first yourself and then also, you know, whoever you're talking to. And so I think just being able to convey that you really invest in something, that you're confident in your ideas is, you know, what people see first. And I think that's just important to get across. And being a young entrepreneur, you of course need a strong support system. You know, how has your family supported you along this journey? Yeah, I think my parents have been super supportive over time. I mean, um, from, you know, taking me to like pitch competitions, giving me support on, you know, my dad gave me support on the technical side a little bit as when I was starting out, but then also in terms of just kind of networking, connecting with other people, how to really talk to other people in the field has been a really important step. Um, also, my school has been super supportive in terms of, you know, the flexibility for being able to go to conferences and competitions over time while I'm also going to school has been, you know, a really integral part of my journey. And so that's just, I think I've just been really lucky to have, you know, that kind of support system. You, you also have to go to school. How do you manage and, and balance being a full-time entrepreneur and a full-time student? You know, it's super tricky because I go to a really rigorous school and I really love being able to kind of have that deep intellectual understanding and academic perspective going into these things. And I think that it's just kind of part of, you know, I I think about these these things in school from a certain perspective, which kind of augment the way that I think about my app and kind of developing timeless over time. Um, And I think that, you know, just... I think that, you know, those two go hand in hand. And so um, I've really been trying to find that balance over time. A lot of the time when I think about the, the times that I work on uh, on Timeless have been, you know, s- spring break, winter break. I think a lot of the time I've been doing like coding marathons over, you know, Christmas and, you know, spring break and over the summer. Um, but I think that, you know, what I've learned at school to kind of have a point of view and to really argue it in class or to really develop an idea um, when I'm writing a paper or when I'm doing reading has been a part of my journey with learning how to become a better you know, entrepreneur through Timeless. And long term, what would you like to see yourself doing? I mean, if someone asked me that when I was your age, I would not have an answer to it. But what do you see yourself doing long term? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to keep working on Timeless because I think that it's something I'm just really invested in. But I also am really interested in kind of going in deeper into machine learning and AI. I think that's just such a growing field that we are seeing so many applications of it in the real world that I think we really are going to see that grow exponentially over time. I mean, even now I'm doing a lot of projects to really understand machine learning. I've been working with um, an organization called Wolfram. Um, They kind of... Yeah, uh, it's the same company that did that. It was um, actually when I was around 11 years old, I went to a maker fair. Um, it was, it's kind of, I think it was in Queens and I saw Stephen Wolfram, the founder of that company, and he put me in a mentorships program um, that the company runs. Um, and so I kind of, that's actually where I started to learn about, you know, more about data science and machine learning itself. And now I'm working with um, someone who works in kind of research development with Wolfram and they've been, uh, he's been kind of supporting me and teaching me more advanced and deeper concepts into, you know, the computer science side of machine learning. Uh, I think Tums is more of like an application, um, but I think that both sides are super interesting. And I think something I've always been interested in is, you know, technologies that are so cutting edge and we see as kind of developing in just academia, but, and how we bring that into contact with the real world. And so I think that both sides of the, that equation, is going to be super important in the future. So I'm definitely interested in, you know, going to college and getting a really deep understanding of those technologies um, and then bringing those into the real world. So I think that's kind of just my vision of what I want to do in the future. Yeah, that sounds really great and very exciting. You have been getting a lot of press coverage and we're really excited to have you on the show, but have you been expecting the sort of coverage that you've gotten, especially around this momentum, the momentum from the press is something that's very interesting, how one thing kind of layers on top of one another and the amount of press that you've gotten. Yeah, I mean, it definitely surprised me, you know, how many people ended up learning and, you know, the, about Timeless and, you know, the places that took me because, you know, I never expected that, you know, doing something like this would eventually, you know, I went to Dubai for a conference about, you know, education. I went to Barcelona for the uh, Mobile World Congress this past February. And so that was just a big surprise for me in terms of, you know, the reach that Timeless can have and what I've been able to accomplish through that and the places that I've been able to go to. It's just been, you know, a big whirlwind kind of, of in, in, over the last two and a half years um, of just meeting so many different people and being exposed to so many, you know, large, you know, um, just being, the exposure has just been really surprising to me. And I think it's really helped me get an understanding, you know, more global understanding about, you know, how timeless fits into this larger canvas of the technology industry and how the industry is kind of growing and changing over time. And it's just been just really valuable and really eye-opening for me, especially as a high school student from New York, originally from Hong Kong. It's just being able to have that perspective, I've just been really fortunate and I'm really grateful for those opportunities. So I think the question I'd like to end on is, being young, how do you get the world to see potential in young people? I think that it's really about kind of getting young people passionate about what they think about. Because I think that we often have this idea of like young people can think whatever they want and they can, you know, they're at a time where they're exploring kind of where they stand a lot of issues. But I think that now that we have so much exposure to the outside world, we can have that kind of really invested passion about an issue, um, whether that be, you know, technology or whether that be, you know, other, you know, cultural issues around us or social issues around us. And so I think that, you know, right now we're just at a generational shift, I think. Um, young people in my generation, even, you know, at my age, 15, 15 years old or even younger, can just be really passionate and really push for something 
in a way that maybe we didn't see in earlier generations. And I think that's just really representative of, you know, people in my generation now are going to be leading change so much earlier than people in older generations. And I think that it's just really important to see that kind of change and for young people to really kind of jump on that. Because I think that there's just a lot of change that we can make now that we're younger, even in technology itself. It's so much more accessible to code now. And it's a lot easier to learn than it was before. And so I think that just being able to tackle that kind of change and really turn that to make it into an advantage is a really important thing that we should be kind of looking to as young people. Yeah, and your example that there is power in young people, if we give them the right tools and the right access, they have the brain power to make some really impactful changes in the world. Yeah, I think definitely also maybe young people even kind of think broader than, you know, adults because, you know, as young people we're told, you know, we everything is limitless. I mean, when you're a kid, you just think, what if this, what if that? You know, the possibilities are really just out there. And so, so I think that sometimes young people can be, you know, bigger thinkers than adults and you see more opportunities and possibilities. And so it's important to also tune into that. And I think a really great note to end on. So thank you, Emma, for being a wealth of knowledge in an inspirational way and just having this go-getter mentality you know, not every opportunity ends up working out the way that you think it will. But if you keep trying, there's some really great opportunities out there for you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been great. And that's it for today. Make sure to write a review on Apple Podcasts and leave your email in the comment. We're going to be giving away a free one-year membership to the China Institute that you don't want to miss out on. We're also getting more active on Twitter, as you've hopefully seen, providing content that really elevates and supports what you're listening to here. Our Twitter handle is at Ta for Ta. And of course, we still regularly check our email at ta.for.ta.china at gmail.com. Ta for Ta, Women's Success China, is a proud member of the Seneca Network. Many thanks again to Kaiser Kuo for co-producing, Jason McRonald for editing, and Jamie Louie for marketing. Until next time, I'm Juliana Batista, and this is Ta for Ta.